Ladies and gentlemen, today's performance will include terrible British accents, Big Dickens energy, and the answer to what Victoria has been keeping secret this whole time. All this and more on Created Things. Welcome to Created Things, a podcast of Catholic creatives and the only podcast that is single-handedly sparking a revival of interest in angelology in the state of Texas. I'm your host, <laughs> Father Gabriel Tretta, Dominican priest, medievalist, guy who studies too much, and with me is my co-host, Jacob Flores Popchak, artist, psychotherapist, Florida man in the flesh. How are you doing? I'm really good. I like being called a Florida man. Um, there's a Disney resort though near here called the Grand Floridian, and I would like to be called that even more. I, oh. I, rather than a Florida man, I want to be called a Grand a Floridian. A Grand Floridian. I, I don't Don't you feel like, I mean, you've only been in Florida a few months. Like, Do you feel like you, yeah, you're that's, already a Grand Floridian? That's all the time it's taken me to be more to become grand a grand than Floridian. any other Floridian. Yeah. No, wow. I mean, that's how great I am. That's just it. That's well, you're grand, I would say. Not really great. That would be a great Floridian. That would be different. Right, it's a right. Whole different. Grand, grande. Yeah, grande. That's like, yeah, like mm-hmm. the that's Starbucks. The, like, size. Starbucks. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which size is that again? I always forget. I'm the obnoxious white guy who goes in and just orders a medium. Oh, I can't remember what their designations are. It's yeah. This is incredible. It's it's incredibly confusing in Japan as well, where they have like um, uh, it's just everyone is confused by everything. Uh, and um, they also have like an additional size, which I'd never seen um, in America. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like bigger uh but in the end actually it's just the same size as like a grande would be for us because you know um they tend to serve things that are smaller um so yeah so you order you walk in you order like the most american possible size which is like give me them bucket of coffee only you say it like in japanese but you're saying fake starbucks italian and it's just everything about it it's like you know what let's stop just that, that just fully feels like a microcosm of modernity to me yeah. We're we're talking about Japan. We're talking about Florida. Explain your intro. Why why are we creating a uh, a renaissance of angelology in Texas specifically? Yeah, specifically Texas because um I just happened to be looking through our um uh user stats and I realized that um one in five people who listen to this podcast live in Texas. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, one in five. What in fact? I did not notice that. Kyle, our our audio engineer and producer, he he sent me some stats where I guess like two thirds of all our listeners are women. Well, which, which you makes know. me feel really weird, only because like they're so much better to listen to. Yeah, and, and I just don't understand why you're all listening to us. Like we're just two gross little weird beard boys talking about art. Like we know something about a thing and you guys could be listening to way cooler stuff. And I don't know why you're listening to us, but, but thank you. Uh, I'm thank glad, you, you know, it. this is like every time I try to listen to an audiobook that isn't recorded by a British guy, I just, or a British woman. Um, I just right. think like, Oh, what am I doing with my life? You know, <laughs> what is like, even the point of what this? is even the point? Like I'll read American novels and I just can't take it. I just can't take it. And it's not, it's, it's not some sort of like, you know, David Attenborough, just like fetishization of, of, of English accents. It's just that like, um, 
because there there are plenty of bad uh, English English readers in audiobooks and stuff like that as well. I just um, I I kind of suspect that in America we don't at least with like for instance audiobooks. Um, we don't invest like labor into it. And so like, we don't actually have people like acting the book. I mean, like the actual sort of the particular yeah. kind of voice acting that's proper to reading out loud. Um, we, we don't seem to really do that where England does seem to do it a lot more. Um, I think that's changed a little bit with audible. By the way, this podcast is brought to you. No, it's not brought to you by Audible. I <laughs> Wait wish, a second. We're switching brands already. I wish we had an audible sponsorship. We, I wish we had a Surfshark sponsorship. All these people. You go on YouTube, like, there are basically three companies, I guess, that fund all of YouTube. And it's like Surfshark slash NordVPN. It's um, freaking Audible. And it's, uh, what's it called? HelloFresh, the meal planning kit. And I'm like, do they have any money that doesn't just go directly into funding small YouTubers. So regardless, I would love some of that good, uh, hello fresh surf shark, uh, audible money. But anyway, point being, I, um, I think that's changed a little bit with audible because I had a subscription for a while and they hire like big celebrities to come in and read cl- the classics to get people like reintroduced, uh, reintroduced to those and stuff. Right. Like that. So that's, they don't my, always, they're not always good at it though. This is why I discovered, I listened to, no. uh, I listened to a Scarlett Johansson recording of, um, Alice in Wonderland. Which I don't even was know it? who's, who that person is. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, you do. She's a Oh, Scarlett Johansson. Joe, whatever. Like I, I said. I literally thought that you were talking about some like Russian performer or something. You know, like Scarlett O'Hara. Come on. <laughs> you really there's really that many syllables in her last name, Johansson? I mean, that's how I've always heard it's pronounced. Maybe I, I'm I think you just made it. But it's that definitely up. not a yo, it's a well, Joe for sure. Well, that's how yo says it. Okay. <laughs> uh yeah. So anyway, so so Scarlett Joe Hanton um I recorded a version of uh Alice in Wonderland, which was a complete disaster, by the way, because uh there's there's humor in the book that relies on being pronounced with a British accent. Yeah. Um, that literally doesn't work uh, if you uh, if you don't have the kind of like um, swallowed R kind of thing and all of this. Uh, and it was just incredible. It's just like I would plow, just plowing through these these jokes that like no longer make sense. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, stop. <laughs> I read my wife and I listened to an audio version of A Christmas Carol, not this past Christmas, but two Christmases ago um, with audio by Tim Curry. Oh, who is like the greatest of us all. And my wife and I are obsessed with Tim Curry because he's been in every movie. It's truly crazy how many bad things he's lent his campy, like super intense British accent to some. He's the wild thornberries. He's the villain in not one, but two Barbie movies. He's, uh, Oh, Oh, don't even get me started on Barbie, a nutcracker. Um, and, and I mean, you know, not to mention, uh, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show and Muppet Treasure Island and all these camp classics. So when we heard that he was doing all of the voices in a Christmas carol, we were like, this is going to be incredible. He was gave a very like sober Shakespearean performance. I was so disappointed because I actually wanted it to be worse. Like you're <laughs> saying, oh, this, my experience with Audible was not as good as I wanted it to be. Mine was not as bad as I wanted it to be. That's by far. That- sad is it that yeah. sad well 
So speaking of, although speaking of a confusing combination of good and bad, actually that does that's a flawless not, transition. My it, God, I know it does kind of actually bring us to where we are uh, today, which is we're following up on a conversation we had a while ago about angels that was um, provocatively titled "Angels Part One." Um, mm-hmm. This one is also provocatively conceived of as "Angels Part Two. Uh, but I we, added, I did add. Um, I'm in the little title on this. I did add electric boogaloo. Oh, there as we well go. Which to is make fair. it a little bit more provocative. There it is. So yeah, this is good. angels. This is... Technically, angels part two. Electric boogaloo. <laughs> electric boogaloo. Um, good. Well, we'll have to make sure that we bring in some of that electric boogaloo, you know, flavor, which is like blue raspberry flavor. It tastes just like blue raspberries. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. This and the snozberries taste like snozberries, and the electric boogaloo tastes like blue raspberry electric boogaloo. All of the above. Yeah. Yeah. With and without blue raspberries. Yeah. Um, so, quick recap on on Angels Part One. Sure, uh, we talked a little bit about um, different places in the Bible uh, where angels come up, and specifically the way in which in those places in the Bible where we find angels, it's um, kind of intentionally confusing. Like sometimes they look like human beings, sometimes um, they're spoken about. Sometimes they switch. It's unclear how many numbers of how many numbers of them there are in any given mm-hmm. place. Um, there is one place uh, in the book of Revelation where an angel is described as flying, but that's actually the only one. Um, and then there's these weird, uh, powerful kind of prophetic visions of angels in like Isaiah and Ezekiel and also in Revelation with like way too many wings and way too many eyes and like too many heads and wheels and all these kinds of things. Um, so we have all these like, really dramatic representations of them visually uh, in the scriptures that then have like fired kind of Christian artistic imagination sort of forever. Um, we talked a little bit about the way, which of course, like, Im- you know, uh, Christians don't have a monopoly on angel images like um, both what's found in the scriptures seems to be working with a lot of kind of cultural ideas from uh, other religions around the area. Um, and then other people make uh, angel images. Basically, almost every religion has some kind of idea about angels, and then they represent them in various kinds of ways. Um, so we kind of talked a little bit through different stages in art history, kind of stopping with the more or less the 17th, 18th century. Um, the last thing that we were talking about was the, the pooty, the, um, chubby naked baby angel with the wings and the often, often in the, in some of the most disturbing representations. Um, like if you go anywhere that got kind of like barfed all over by the Baroque or especially the Rococo, Rococo, Coco, Rococo, Coco, like, um, Anywhere in Austria, um, some places in Germany, um, Rome, many places in Spain, like any place that was really kind of powerful in the like 17th and 18th century um, and Catholic. Uh, it just like got barfed all over um, by the by the by the Baroque and the Rococo. And in some of these places, you can see um, like there's this church in Vienna um, I think it's the St. Michael's Kirche, actually the St. Michael's Church. Um mm-hmm. That's this big altarpiece, and it—I mean, it—it it is really beautiful. Um, it's like all gold, like this these two, two giant gold pillars and stuff on either side. Uh, and if you look closely, it's just all made up of like naked baby heads with wings and stuff. Yeah, and just like that happens. Yeah, it's like you beheaded like six hundred angels for this thing. <laughs> I guess is what not I'm hearing. Not really, you not really. Um. <laughs> 
Yeah, I I don't know, man. I mean, I you know me. I I'm in kind of an active war with myself to never ever ever be a snob over every a, anything or everything. But I will say, if there was one, and I'm sure it has artistic merit on its own, but but I just personally speaking with my own tastes, I hate Rococo so much. Yeah, bro. It's so it's much. The, it's because it's the worst. Look at this, everybody. I want you to pause for just a second and recognize what has just happened, which is that Jacob and I have agreed. That a given artistic period is the worst ever made. (laughs) That means officially that the Rococo has been blotted out from God's sight. Like this just oh yeah, there you go. We have blotted out from the face of the earth. When we this is like uh, when the Planeteers sort of put their rings together and become Captain Captain Planet. You and I, when we agree that something is bad, God also just sort of decides that it's bad. Yeah, I'm again. I don't really know enough about Rococo to to have a definitive judgment. I just know like subjectively my own personal tastes. I hate it. I follow uh, the Smithsonian on TikTok and they were, uh, they were breaking down this set of cabinets, these Rococo cabinets that have been found in the former Shippen mansion in Philadelphia. Peggy, Peggy Shippen um, seduces Benedict Arnold away from the American Legion and gets him to convert over the British side. And famously wow. changes so nothing really bad happened. Right, right. Exactly. Um, because she was secret, secretly spying for the British and was in love with someone else. It's it's all awesome and tristy and and kind of Downton Abbey-ish. But my God, these cabinets were disgusting. I mean, they were so gaudy and just loud and there was no one focal point and oh, it was just awful. And I can't imagine a whole room. I mean, I can't imagine because I've seen it, but like just a whole room done up that way. If your cabinet's that loud, I, know. I don't know. It's it's absolutely incredible. I mean, and then you get to these these churches that are like this, where it's this absolute kind of like horror vacui, they say, you know, like the like a nature abhorring the vacuum, right? Where I used like, to be in a, I used to be an alt punk band called Horror, horror Vacui. Yeah, it's yeah. actually legit. Anybody who's listening, if you want to start an alt horror punk band, do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, like, it's no, it's incredible. It's just like, well, I thought I saw a piece of blank wall. So I put six baby heads on it. <laughs> and and also, I just sprayed cheap gilding on everything. It's like, okay. Oh, gosh. But back, But hey, actually, back to the angels thing. I really appreciate your recap here. I want to throw in two cents of my own little recap because some of it's happened off air. So a lot of the reason we've had to do two episodes on angels is because I decided to do that annoying thing that I promised I'd never do where I brought in like my own personal confusions and issues into an episode. So we spent most of episode one talking kind of in the gray area between arts and then also the actual theology of angels, which I assume we'll do some of more today as well, which is by necessity. But a lot of that was to help me swallow the pill of angels, which I have historically struggled with. And one of the things you've really helped me understand on that episode and, and off air as well since then, and, and one of the things that I think is important to bring into this episode too, is, uh, you know, I had sort of framed a history of, of, angels as I saw it, or a history of angels and art as I saw it. Um, and you rightfully pointed out that it wasn't nearly as linear as I thought it was, that a lot of the different imagery that I was associating as being linear kind of overlapped with each other at different times. Um, but my my idea of that history, kind of the, the presupposition behind that history as I posed it, was that angels were or angels, artists were depicting angels to illustrate something they wanted their audience to know about God. And while that is 
true to an extent, you have really helped me understand that the way angels appear, not just the way they're depicted, but the way angels appear is so that God can help us understand him more. And you really helped me bridge that to the identity of God as artist in kind of a cool way that, you know, realistically, you even mentioned um, off air, and, and correct me if I'm misrepresenting you at all, because I want to make sure I'm getting kind of your your gist correct here. But like in the story of Abraham, when he's encountered by these angels, you sort of made the point that if God shows up to Abraham, that's going to explode his brain in half. He needs to kind of send these angels because this is the highest and craziest and biggest reality that, that Abraham can consider. And so, and the way God allows angels, these bodiless, purely spiritual beings to be seen by us is illustrative of how we need to see them um, in order to draw closer to God. And I think that's really cool because I was framing this all from the artist's perspective of how are we as artists depicting angels? And I hadn't really shifted my gaze to how is God as the greatest artist depicting angels for the sake of his audience, us as well. So I, I've appreciated that continuing conversation with you since we recorded episode one. And I, I want to make sure that filters in here too. Uh, just because I, it's important to remember, you know, God in all of this and also God's identity as an artist in all of this and his efforts to make himself understood through his art to us by all of this. I don't know. Is there anything you'd add to that? Did I get anything wrong there? No, I think that's, I think that's great. That's really helpful because again, just to reemphasize like the constant problem with visual depiction of angels uh, is that they are pure spirit, is that they don't have bodies by their nature. Like that's, that's what an angel is, is it's, it's a bodiless, rational creature. Um, and, uh, you know, Douglas Adams would say it's just a, sh a sentient shade of the color blue seen through a prism. Yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and whoop. so, um, so it's just necessarily going to pose these kinds of um, fascinating visual puzzles um, that always at some level have to answer the question of like, how, like, what do we actually think these things are? Like, who yeah. are these people? Which is to say, do I think, do I think the answer to this question is like, who are these people? Or do I think the answer to this question is what are these weird creatures? Or do I think the answer to the question is what is this symbolic figment of my imagination? Or like, what is this artifact of cultural memory? You know, like what mm -hmm. the, the actual question that I'm asking about angels, like necessarily determines the way in which, uh, as an artist, I can represent them. Right. Well, and I think the answer, maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think the answer to all of the hypothetical questions you just posited, you know, what is this figment of my imagination? What are these people? Who are these people? What is the, what is the creature, et cetera, and so forth. The answer to all of those is just a simultaneous yes, because all of that is happening in my understanding of angels and our understanding of angels. You know, I was, I was talking to a very, very dear friend of ours who was trying to kind of understand, um, our lady of Guadalupe better. Oh yeah. Um, right. And just Marian apparitions better in general. And, and this is, you ended up explaining to me angels the way I had sort of unknowingly explained Marian apparitions to him, where do we actually believe that the Virgin Mary historically is, you know, uh, a half Mayan, half European Spanish teenager wearing traditional Mayan garb? No, we don't. Do we believe that Mary appeared to Juan Diego that way because the schema in his mind and the perspectives in his mind 
appearing to him that way would help him to understand her and the theology of her and the theology of God beyond her better. Yeah. So I think that's interesting that, that, you know, yes, the figments of our imagination, so to speak, are actually an important part of this because angels necessarily and God necessarily has to appear to us in ways that we can understand. And if I'm a, you know, prehistoric person in the, in the, you know, Mesopotamia or in the Delta river basin or wherever. And I'm used to seeing, um, you know, proto-Egyptian Mesopotamian Persian kind of art with, you know, Griffin heads and all these sorts of things. And an angel needs to appear to me. It's going to take on those forms so that I can understand it better. I, I, I'm starting to <laughs> where in episode one, I resented the wishy-washiness of that. I'm now like fully down for it. That's that's awesome. And there is something about it that like it's um it's both sort of using and fulfilling the way in which them like this kind of religious imagination, the mind is able to sort of uh, conceive um of the angel, but it also has with it like a pull to more, right? Like that's right. what's astounding. That's what's sort of shocking about the about the biblical representations of angels because they they are always kind of like using some things that you might expect if you're really knowledgeable about like the religious history at the time. Um, but then also like kind of pulling it in this in this like wild and unimaginable additional direction, you know? Um mm-hmm. which is I think also really great. And I think um like that's something I kind of want to flag as we keep talking about um, like moving into the modern period and talking about and contemporary period and talking about angels is um, I think that's an interesting question about like um, not just the using familiar um, visual and symbolic concepts, but also like pushing um, into that, like or pulling into that, like, actually other realm which is the like the the properly divine realm of who god is um i i think it'd be interesting to kind of track that in 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 modern and contemporary depictions of angels like do they just do one or do they just do the other or like can sometimes people manage to do both or anyway maybe there's a maybe this is reductionist but in comedy improv there's this policy of yes and mm-hmm. right you know if you run on stage and you say here's a cup of squirrel juice I can say, ew, squirrel juice is disgusting. Or I can say, mm, squirrel juice is my favorite, but I can't say, no, that's not squirrel juice because in doing so, I sort of end the scene, right? And so to to, pause, uh, to defend against that tendency, there's this yes and rule of, you know, I want to kind of greet everything with, with a yes and. Yes, that is squirrel juice. And here's a new fact that I'm contributing or a new piece of information I'm contributing to the scene. And, and I feel like that kind of embodies in maybe some way what you're talking about with apparitions of any kind from God, whether it's a Marian apparition, an apparition of an angel, an apparition of him, you know, there's, there's a yes to how we previously conceive these things. And there's this invitation to more embodied within it. Right. Yeah. Uh, divine apparition as improv comedy. I like this. Yes. And that's the title of our forthcoming book. Actually. You that's, just oh, excellent. How'd you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, no, that'd be really cool because we did leave off on Rococo um, and we want to be looking at, you know, how artists are conceiving these things and how, how God is stretching us through looking at these things. We want to look at how maybe we are being invited now to revisit angels, maybe taking it into the future. You know, some of these things, is there any, is there anything you want to make sure we hit before we're done with this, this episode? 
Um, oh, I've got a, I've got some, some things I want to talk about, but oh, you, got um, some little, you got some little things. Up I got some sleeves. things. I got some things. Let's talk about some things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some stuff and some things, you know, you know, so I think, I think where I'd like to start though is, um, so let's, um, let's jump the rest of the 18th century because the 18th century again, barf. Um, we're just going to skip it. We're just yeah. going to skip Rococo. No, well, no, we talked about it. There's nothing more to say. It's the worst. <laughs> it's just, okay. All right. Yeah, that's fine. No, there's nothing more to say. It's like, it's like naked baby heads and like gold and that's all you need. Before we get into that. No, seriously though, because we sort of ended with, we ended last episode with what could artists have been trying to accomplish with these little baby angels. Right. And they are so rampant now in, in terms of not Rococo art, but in terms of like grandma China right, statue grandma on the mantle yeah, right. art. Do you have any more theories after thinking about it in the few weeks since we last talked about it, about what the artists are trying to achieve? Cause I posited it's, it's the innocence of God. It's the mischievousness of God. It's the fact that, you know, we're moving from a time, especially in the Rococo phase, we're moving in this time where, you know, when Michelangelo paints God the Father, he's meaning to paint him very much as a dad in this very radical way at the time. But then centuries later, it's seen now as that guy looks, even that guy looks too serious, right? So the my theory was, you know, these angels are coming in to try to illustrate, hey, God is fun. God is fluffy. God is cute and innocent and mischievous. And you can be friends with him, right? And to, to good and bad degrees. Do you think that holds any water? Do you have any other theories of your own before we move on? I just don't want to not do justice to this very big swatch of people's experience of angel art. Right. No, that's exact. That's exactly right. And I think again, like, cause, cause there, the emphasis is like, um, yeah, I mean, I think that all those things are happening with, with the, with the putty, the, um, the small baby angels, um, uh, heads attached to shoulders or not. um, and uh is that like yeah they're representing this innocence of um innocence of coming to god you know that um uh right that that and there as you say like that like being being holy doesn't always mean doesn't mean being stuffy that um that it also doesn't have to be this kind of grand dignity um you i think you definitely see it i think it's fruitful to see it as a certain when it's done from an intentionally Christian perspective, I think it's, I think it does incorporate, um, it sort of presses really hard on that verse. Like let the little children come to me. Oh, um, sure. That yeah, Christ that says, uh, to his, and, and I get, I mean like, okay, I'm willing to put myself into, into the situation, like in that, in that part of the, the gospel, um, all these kids are trying to come, uh, and just like, whatever climb all over jesus just because that's what kids do and the disciples like are sort of pushing them away and they're like knock it off knock it off get get out of here you know and presumably getting angry as you do uh and jesus like interrupts and he's like guys you are you are the problem <laughs> you are the problem like the kids are not the problem actually you are the problem right. um and he says you don't let the children come to me okay and i get i mean this is speaking speaking to my to my hardened anti Rococo heart here is that like this is part of the point is like don't don't police this that hard like uh actually being able to to um that 
people for several hundred years sort of pressed really hard on the idea of like the little children coming to Christ um, as this perfect expression of uh, innocence and purity and simplicity of heart uh, and oneness with the divine will um, that lacked all the kind of like wealth and dignity and refinement and education and uh, class distinction and all those kinds of things that, that, um, that, you know, split people from one another um, and make people think the one set of people is better than another and it just says like no this is actually the higher form of holiness sure um, and they represent it actually um not even as a human kind of holiness but as a as a greater than a human kind of holiness here as specifically as angels um i which i do think um so like i, I you're right like i sh- I, I don't i don't it's not right for me just to dismiss the whole thing because I find it aesthetically yeah, unpleasing. Yeah, yeah buddy, man. you are the worst. Back you hate off, babies. Back off the Rococo, man. What do you hate, babies or something? <laughs> you freaking mook. It's true. You, yeah, you hate the Rococo, you hate babies. That's what it means. It's um, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so, there. I mean, there's a real theological insight there. Um, I, think, uh, I think it's very interesting how... Um, this, when it hits them, the kind of mass production era, uh, I mean, even we talked a little bit last time, like even in the 17th and 18th century, there's, there's definitely clear the risk here for sentimentalism is pretty immense. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of my favorite authors of all time is uh, the British author P.G. Woodhouse. Um, oh, sure. Writes, yeah, of course. Yeah, he writes all these absolutely amazing um, comic novels. And uh, in uh, in his novels, he will often speak about baby worship. Uh, oh, which, yeah, that's great. Which will be like random people coming up to babies on the street and be like, oh, boo-boo, oh, boo-boo. And then everyone's sort of like playing with a baby for like, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, ba- don't, you know, babies are great and they're worth they're worth uh, playing around with, you know. But uh, uh, but there is like, there, there goes this, like thinking about the phenomenon of baby worship versus like loving a baby is I think a good example of like what happens with the Rococo uh, and, um, and these kind of like, Pooty angels is like there's sure. a, a legitimate celebration of uh the love of babies and the and the beauty of of a baby and the and the that's as a perfect expression of holiness and innocence and simplicity and all the rest. Um, but then it it also can cross over into like statue baby worship, you know, right? Low, low key, lowercase uh I idolatry. Yeah, a little bit, because like ultimately what I really like about this rare dose, this big gigantic thing behind the altar is like, look at all these babies. Right, right. It stops, which no, I mean, it's really important to mention, and that's not being nitpicky because that was a big part of our discussion episode one was when, and it was my main problem with the angel stuff is that I wasn't, and I guess still I'm not entirely confident where the line necessarily is between when I'm trying to depict an ineffable reality and then when everybody starts to take my depiction of that ineffable reality totally literally and how dangerous that becomes. And you're basically saying that that, that happens with this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly in the, 
um, there are lots of steps, and 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 again, I think like already in the Rococo and and Baroque periods, you see this kind of sentimentalism creeping in. Um, it's already fully present, I should say. We um, all know how much you love sentimentalism. I love the sentiment. Love I love it. it. You love um, the romantical sentiments. I love it. And and like, <laughs> and then of course, like once you get to the mass production era. Then you know you strip off the gold and you re- and or you stick up strip off like them you place the marble with plastic you strip off the gold and you and you replace that with you know spray dyes or whatever um, mm-hmm. and then you get you know uh, or I don't I don't remember what, I don't know what precious moments dolls are made of um, porcelain some sort of porcelain porcelain yeah um, the early ones are porcelain so you, and I think the later ones are like plaster like resin but okay yeah so yeah so you then it turns into like. Precious Moments dolls and these kinds of things. And like, um, doesn't Mary Engelbert have like a bunch of like baby angel things? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Well, no, the one one with the calendars. What's her name? With all the like hedgehog babies and angel babies. Andy Warhol also has some really fun like parodies of this where he's, he's drawing, he's drawing all these baby angels um, because again, he I mean sort of artistically experimented with Catholicism all his life and then really dealt into it after he was shot. And um all his baby angels are like farting and looking at each other's genitalia and stuff like this, and just like v- these very sort of crass parodies of it that are honestly delightful and would make great tattoos for anyone looking for one. But um oh. yeah, no, so it, it does lend itself like when it becomes that proliferated, it suddenly just starts lending itself to just explicit parody all the time. Cause you can't do anything else with it. It's so overly sentimental that you basically can't do anything not ironic with it after a certain point. Right. Exactly. Um, and that's, and I think it's just worth recognizing like that there, that there are, um, modes of expressing emotion that like in sometimes in history are very credible. And then in other times of history, just like completely lose their credibility. So, mm-hmm. um, so like Charles Dickens, who's marvelous, you know, and I don't mean to paint him with a broad brush, but like, but Dickens, do it, has, paint do that it. boy. He definitely has moments of like, pretty extreme sentimentality and even even like big dickens fans will just say like yeah you just kind of have to take the take the rough with a smooth you know like i, I um, love big dickens fans there's nothing more know, that i love than a than a big dickens fan that's exactly right that's exactly right it's just a single so, entendre that's the best part there's no there's no there's no double entendre there it's just one I'm such a child <laughs> well you know you and the you and andy warhol's dirty pooty i guess you know uh, <laughs> i guess yeah no you know what gosh darn i'm in good company me and dickens and andy warhol we're all hanging out together that's that's, that's not exactly a bad right. party so there's this scene in um i think the book is called little dorrit uh where there's this like really this is really emotional inc- just honestly incredibly sentimental scene where like the main character dies you know and um <gasps> uh and Oilers I think for a several hundred year old book yeah, exactly. Spoiler, y'all. Uh, I think it's Wild who says like, um, so. But the whole thing is that the scene is like incredibly. It's supposed to make you cry. It's very emotional. It's like all it's on and on and on and on. It's just ah, tears, sentimentality, all the rest. Uh, I think it's Oscar Wilde who says like, only the hardest heart, when little Dorrit dies, would fail to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> because already by that point it had become so like just the emotion so trite it had become too much i mean it was it, to be honest like some of these some of these scenes with dickens it was like, kind of already too much from the beginning um but like 
<clears throat> I mean, for us now, like post kind of 1980s uh, I, irony in America, like just don't even try. Like you're just like, th- these are just not things that you have access to uh, unless right. you've like really diligently trained your mind to be able to like appropriate some other culture, time and places notion of like what proper emotions uh, are, which Okay. I mean, you could, if you just absolutely really, really, really wanted to be able to cry when little Dorrit dies, then like, okay, good, go ahead. You know, but that seems, <clears throat> I don't want, uh, an eight, uh, 19th century, uh, Englishman's sense of emotions, but, uh, but you know, maybe you <laughs> do more power to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. If that's I, your got a, I got a couple of psych clients that I see who, who have some 18th century ideas of emotions. I think, beautiful. I, I think wow, what a beautiful thing. they should start reading Charles Dickens. Um, <laughs> see if they cry at all the right places and don't laugh at all the wrong places um but uh uh but yeah so i don't know i mean i wonder i sort of suspect that like pooty these child angels i think are kind of like that you know um Mm. i just think after i mean keeping in mind that this is this is now like 500 years or so uh of really intense i mean it's like the the fad of um of these like kind of naked baby angels and like baby heads with wings and these kinds of things. I mean, that lasted from about 1500 until, you know, beginning of the 20, I mean, early 20th century or so. Um, so that's a long time. I maybe so 400 some years, uh, and we're maybe about not even a hundred years or so out from where it kind of stopped being visually symbolically credible. Um, so I just, but I just think like if a contemporary artist would say like, well, no, I'm going to like rediscover the like chubby naked baby angel for like Christian art and piety, I'd say maybe not worth it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you're, <clears throat> maybe you're pushing water uphill for no reason. Now, see, now you feel, now it feels like you posed to me a challenge and I, yeah, I just can't back down from that. So no, you can't do. It. I mean, I there. Behold, I have thrown. I throw the gauntlet. I throw the gauntlet. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Up. You've told it's me I over. can't. You told me it's not possible to do something or not worth doing something, and now I feel like I have to prove you wrong. Exactly but until right. I could am you, able to could, prove you wrong, you wanted to move on to pa- past the Rococo period into some other yeah. stuff. See, this is why this is why we have this is why we have to move past the Rococo. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep complaining about it until like we have to stop. The well, I'm trying to be better too about not getting so off topic that we turn things that really should be a half an hour episode into a four hour two parter. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to keep us like four. So okay, so I want to jump forward to the late 19th century. Um, there's a specific artist I want to I want to kind of think with for just a second. Sure. Um, sure. his name is um Abbott Henderson Thayer. Um, it makes art in the kind of late 19th and early 20th century. Um, he is, uh, American. He's from America. Um, so he's this fascinating guy. He, um, not a religious guy. He is a big follower of, um, Ralph Waldo Emerson. So you'd say he's like a transcendentalist, uh, kind of thing. Um, big, passionate, passionately interested in beauty, passionately interested in making beauty does not believe that's like, divine beauty exists just there it is you know um he gets in this interesting and and very difficult place where um in the kind of like late 1880s or so um he's lost a couple of his children um yeah his wife is like a 
uh, sort of long term and and um, uh, getting worse mental illness, and so, so she's sort of um, uh, she needs care and is and is diff- you know, is having severe problems of her own. And they've lost a couple of children. Then they have they have um, two or three children uh, who are who are alive. Um, and he just kind of starts trying to paint his way in and through like everything that he's experiencing. Um, and so what he starts to do is he starts to paint his own children, basically the surviving children um, in all of these scenes that are very dramatically inexperienced. He's a, he's a, he's a really talented sort of like late 19th century, early 20th century realist type painter sort of. Okay, I was just, I was just about um, to ask, cause I don't know this guy's work. If you could describe some of yeah, like, style, so sort of semi-realist, like, like okay. um, not no, no, no marks of impressionism, no marks okay. of um, uh, he's, he's right. He's painting for the most part before world war one. And so no, no marks of modernism or, um, or any, any, any stuff like that. So, sure. um, there are these, um, sort of stunning, um, not exactly classical, but, um, but very sort of richly conceived, somewhat real realist, uh, paintings. And he starts to paint a lot of these images of his own children in these scenes kind of taken from um, traditional Renaissance representations um, in various ways. Um, uh, And he just starts putting wings on them. Oh, he just starts putting wings on them. Um, Okay. Like he has this, he has a a handful of paintings of um, a young woman, uh, usually his actual daughter um uh just sort of posed um looking reflectively or whatever um beautiful i mean she's a beautiful girl and there's beautiful 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 paintings um and she just has wings um and there's and there's all kinds of things like this they're just just these um these figures who just are kind of doing they're paused in contemplation or they're reflecting or thinking but then they just have wings Mm, Um, and there's something really marvelous about it, I think, because this is as somebody who has had a lot of trauma, like a lot of, a lot of tragedy and is dealing with kind of like ongoing trauma and all of this, um, who doesn't believe in God, um, is taking these kind of Renaissance scenes that would, that would normally be scenes of like the Virgin Mary and John the Baptist and all that stuff. Um, and putting his own children in these pictures, he's trying to kind of reflect on who his children are. And the only way that he can capture the beauty of who his children are, um, and how much he loves them and the splendor that he sees in them, um, is to paint them like saints and then to p- in poses and tableau like saints um, and to represent them as angels. Wow. I love this as a follow. I mean, I'm not sure what else you have to say on this because now I want to look into his art, but as a follow to what we were just saying about the pitfalls of the Rococo baby angels, I really dig this because maybe part of what's making the the Rococo baby angels so camp is their um what's the right word? They're like disassociation, their detachment 
from like they start off if you're right as as an exploration of the let the little children come on to me but then they become sort of fetishized in and of themselves not sexually but you know yeah, aesthetically yeah, yeah. fetishized in and of themselves so that they kind of become divorced from what actual children are and then you're pivoting us right out of that into hey this is the authentic way to actually look at the innocence of god through these innocent angels is actually painting this guy's his own children because there's this intimacy there and there's this connection and attachment there that isn't present with just plaster baby head. Is that fair to say? Do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, that definitely is what happens. I think that's a really fair description. And I, I, that's why I wanted to go um, to Thayer. Just, I mean, partly he's, these paintings are some of my favorite 20th century paintings and, and, um, uh, and I just love, uh, I just love his work, but um uh, he, I think it's so interesting that to kind of, if we could put it this way, it's not like he's intentionally trying to do this, but, um, he manages to like recapture and express as if for the first time, something very beautiful that had become lost to visual expression by being overplayed, by being overdone, by becoming kind of trite and camp, as you say. Um, and he does it interesting, like, again, like this, he's not actually coming from a place of faith. Like he's not actually trying to make a religious image. Um, I'm not, and I'm not saying he's able to tell the truth because he doesn't believe in God, obviously. But <laughs> what I love about it is that he doesn't, saying. it's a little bit, but I love about it is that he doesn't start with a preconception, like, oh, I'm going to play some angels, so I'm going to put some wings here, and then some babies, and then some drapery, and then some clouds, and whatever, you know. Um, he wants, he wants to be able to show something of how beautiful his children are. He wants to be able to show something about how immense and huge his love for his children his children are and how stunningly beautiful they are as people um in a way that he can only he can see because he's the he's their father um and that and that he wants to like have this whole visual language in order to do that um so it's not this a priori abstract like oh I'm gonna paint an angel now it's like I want I have to. I have to be able to understand better by means of my painting how beautiful these children are and the and then like as he digs into it the only way that he can do it is by using representations of angels like, right. like visual tropes of angels um which I think gets us like really dramatically again like we were talking about at the beginning you know the kind of like fulfilling the 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 fullness of your own imagination and then stretching and pulling it yeah no in a way I, that gives it freedom that wasn't there before I really really like this because of the intimacy that's implied because it's getting back to the heart of why we need angels, which is to understand better God, the father and his relationship with us through his relationship to them. I also dig this. and I know this maybe isn't what you were attending to, to put out there, but it's, it's where my brain goes, you know, there's this ongoing conversation that people keep returning to in, in Catholic creatives, which is, and I'm sure other places as well. I've been privy to other places as well, which is like, we sort of, why can't Christians make good art? And that's, that's obviously kind of a crappy, you know, broad brush to paint with, but there is this stereotype of if a, you know, if someone goes out and make a movie, it's, it could be good. But if a Christian goes out and makes a movie, it's God's not dead and it sucks. 
And I, I, there's a <gasps> lot that goes into why that happens and we should probably do whole episodes on it. But one of the reasons is maybe what you're talking about here with this guy that he's able to go in without preconception um, and explore angels and then end up because of his lack of conception and because of the, the absence of the baggage going in there. Now he's, he's designing this from this very intimate personal place. Whereas so many other Christians or so many Christians are coming into their art with preconceptions and agendas and, and ideas that they can't necessarily rid themselves from. And so there's less kind of personal authenticity. Um, I don't know. I want your thoughts on that, but I, it does remind me b- before I get your thoughts on that, you know, I'm mentioning Catholic creatives here and I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to them. Um, we, we are actually, uh, this podcast is actually brought to you is sponsored by Catholic creatives, uh, mm-hmm. and also Catholic dot store. Um, Catholic creatives for its part, it's an organization dedicated to, um, igniting what they call a new Renaissance of faith um, through prayer and through beauty and through the creative spirit and fostering those things. So to do this, they're, they're connecting and supporting and promoting artists and innovators and makers and storytellers from across the faith community. Uh, but it does take a community to bring big ideas like this to life. So uh, by supporting our Patreon, uh, you not only help this podcast, but you contribute directly to future workshops and summits and and resources meant to support Catholic artists around the country uh, while getting an inside track on these activities with access to our member-only Facebook group. So to join, go to catholiccreatives.org forward slash support. And in addition, I'd ask you to consider looking at the uh, the beautiful products um, from Catholic creatives, makers, artisans, and artists, which can be found at catholic.store. Uh, I encourage you to not give your money to, you know, these big kinds of you know, mass production type organizations that Father Gabriel and I are often discussing on on this show, you know, uh, cheap or, or heartless imitations of, of real art. You know, instead, try to support, you know, small business, try to support small local artists, um, small artists within the local community of of broader, you know, Catholicism, um, by going to catholic.store, uh, today and looking at some of those things. Lots of, lots of great ways to be a part of the community. Lots of great ways to facilitate the arts. Um, but back to your thoughts on what I was saying before Father Gabriel, I mean, could, could you elaborate on this idea just, just briefly, and then we'll get back to the artist himself on this idea of coming in without preconceived notion. I mean, it seems like that's even kind of what we're talking about with Abraham too, right? You know, all these guys are kind of coming in with, without preconceived notion that allows them to, to see God more fully or to see the angels more fully all throughout the artistic tradition of, of angels. Well, although interesting, I mean, yes, but at the same time, they're also like in proof, like we've been talking about proof, like God is profoundly in conversation with their preconceived notions. Sure, and like, again, too, like yeah. fulfilling and expanding, right. Pulling and pushing and making it be more. And I think there is that, you know, like, I suspect that what it is for, I mean, what it is for, for a guy like Thayer, I think, is that he's just that, like, he doesn't want to set a limit on what he sees, you know? He wants to just look as deeply into into um, this beautiful thing as he possibly can. Um, and this beautiful thing being, for instance, like one of his own children, there is this, like, limitless horizon before him of, like, love that's not just a kind of reflection of his own emotional experience and not that love is merely to be reduced to that. Um, but that he just wants to go as much as he possibly can, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. and it includes pulling out weird things that don't fit with the rest of his worldview. Like, 
angel wings and all these kinds of things, like representations of divine structures and stuff that he doesn't, they don't actually fit with his worldview, but he just has to do it. And it's the only way, right? right. Um, there's a kind of like radical fearlessness and freedom there that says like, I am beholden to reality. Like reality is not beholden to me. And I desire to see it as deeply and richly as I possibly can. And I want to be able to, to make perceptible what it is that I've seen or what I think that I like the direction that I think I begin to, to, to see, mm -hmm. um, it what by whatever means I can, by whatever means necessary. And I think like, that's a, like, this is what, this is what, this is what artists do. This is, this is like the rich, the fullest richness of the desire, uh, and the labor. Um, and it's just very easy to short circuit it, you know, with like, um, oh, well I, I, and so I can just go, use some of these very familiar tropes. We're going to do this or like, Oh, but this, but it has to be, uh, nice. And so like, I'm going to do this right. or like, you know, if I'm writing, if I'm writing a play or whatever, like, Oh, but I can't have people like use swears and like, Oh, what I, you know, and whatever. And then like suddenly things start to fall apart. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, um, or I just use cheap tricks like, you know, Oh my gosh, suddenly like God comes in and like saves everybody. You know, like this is why, this is why a hot take, like I just despise Graham green and everything. Um, all of his pomps and all of his, all of his false works. Um, <laughs> uh, because, uh, Wait, which because one's he again, Graham he green, he wrote the power of the glory and, um, uh, the end of the affair. Uh, okay. this is not the same. Like this. I'm thinking of a different green who wrote like looking for Alaska and that's... I don't know who that is, but no, okay. it's not the same so one. Different, um, different green. Seth green. Vexed, I don't know, no. vexed, complicated, um, mid 20th century English. Uh, I think English, um, uh, Catholic question mark ish. That's his whole drama. Um, is like, uh, he's like the, he's like the it's Pat of Catholicism. Um, it's like, uh, <laughs> that's a deep cut. Jeez. Yeah. Dang. Dang, I meant it. Don't worry. Um, and uh, yeah, so he, uh, I, 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 I can't, I can't abide his works because in the end, uh, they all have this just absolutely marionette kind of rigmarole that they that they move by, which is that like the main characters have to go like so dark and they have to be so far away from God and they just do bad things because they're bad but then at the it's end like they're advertising like, like the new batman movie the darkest batman yet and i'm like is that wait is that a sales pitch not, not the best batman oh, no. not the most interesting just visually the, the darkest okay all right also the most insanely long batman yet <laughs> honestly dude it's insane yeah um i just think like uh Oh my gosh, now I'm thinking about Batman. What were we talking about? We we're talking about, you know, just the the oh god, don't make me recap this. But no, just the broader idea of um uh this this guy, this green guy, oh Graham you know, Green, kind yeah, of going yeah, yeah. So through he's just gonna, and making right. so like all of his guys are gonna be like so dark, you know. But then like at the end, God's gonna come out and woo woo, yeah. God will come like, out tomorrow. Yeah, and it's just it's just like it's they're gross, you know. He's he's gross. Um I and I I think there's 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 always these temptations for like Christian artists, you know, is to sort of do that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, totally. Uh, so yeah, so I think, but I think 
maybe it's I don't know. I, I hadn't I hadn't intended to to use angels as a kind of a lens on this, but I think you're right that actually angels, partly because in the 20, 20 late twentieth and twenty first century, um, it's a it's a visual language that's hard. It's not immediately intuitive for people. Um, and a lot of the idea about who and what angels are um, is not in, also not intuitive or not not believed. Um, by, <laughs> yeah, by many as people, evidenced you know? by the last two episodes of this podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, that like in the end, they they are this really interesting lens for like how do you look at reality enough to be able to like see something interesting and say something interesting. Um, but um. You know, I do kind of want to follow with, through with that. So, like that's so that's one way in which we in which like here's here is a, su- a success story. I think of a man who really was able to make it work in a very profound way. Um, but as we as we like kind of, I'd kind of want to push into the the twenty twentieth and our own century actually a little bit more with um, like also actually reasoning as a different ray shooting out from like naked chubby Rococo angels. Mm-hmm. Um. Because like you also have this thing, and you brought this up in our last episode, um, that like you do see with angels kind of all along, but especially once people in the Renaissance get really big into into like painting and sculpting these sort of big chipped bodies, you know, um, the kind of like classical Grecian, right. classical Roman type of type of uh, the kind very of strong, very powerful, very beautiful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Then like you get those kinds of guys in angels too, and like. Um, skipping over like every possible step, there is there ends up being this hilarious and wild chain where it's like, okay, angels. Well, of course they're immaterial, but okay, blah, 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 we're gonna skip over that. Um, but they're perfect. So when we represent them visually, of course they're gonna have perfect bodies. And now like Baroque, Baroque what like Renaissance, Baroque mannerism, like this is gonna be like so they're gonna have rock hard chipped David Epps, <laughs> obviously. And of course they're angels. And so if they're not wearing like uh, a bed sheet, they're wearing their birthday suit. Because right. they're because angels are you know because they're pure and they're perfect and so they have to be naked. This combines in way deep into the as it's like launches into the twentieth century with um uh kind of interest in kitsch, interest in uh these sort of chubby baby angels and all these kinds of things. And what do we get? We get like perfect body, naked body, kitsch body, chubby body sexy angels victoria's secret angels exactly like this is like there's a whole company that basically has like a yearly line of just this which is like sexy angels yeah oh man i didn't even think of that as a category of angels when we got into this but you're so right dude and like why is it at least when i when i was in college which which was a long time ago but uh when i was in college like uh Every, basically every woman, I went to a state school, so there we are, but like basically every woman on Halloween went as like naughty nurse or naughty angel. Right. Maybe a sexy cat thrown in there just, you know, for a classic every once in a while. Maybe a sexy cat, but like basically 
sexy angel. Not like devil. That wasn't such a thing at the time, but like right, sexy right. angel. No, the boy, the boy wear, is the devil. He's the one who wears like the red horned headband and then she goes as the sexy angel. That's, yeah, that's exactly. The, right. That's Fact. the yeah. totally inexplicable gender breakdown. <laughs> it's just, it's just how it is. That's just how it goes, you know? Um, but I, which I just think is, it actually has this, I mean, you could say like, I mean, part of me just wants to say like, oh, well, modern era and like, there's just, everything is sex and blah, 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 blah. But I think that's too cheap, actually. Like, it's definitely too cheap. Because it is coming from this like Renaissance mannerist, like perfect bodies, perfect bros, perfect chicas, chubby, naked, adorable chica, baby, boy, baby, what babies? And then we get sexy, sexy, sexy angels. Yeah, you're super right because there's another trend because I, again, I didn't even think of the sexy angel as sort of a, a chapter in the story of angels in art. I did think of this other chapter that I want to talk about. That's also 20 and 20th and 21st century. Um, but before I get into that or even preview it, I, I think what we're talking about here is that it's at a certain point. Um, with you know, the exception of guys like your your artist that you mentioned, who's painting his own children, um, there's less and less of a personal experience of spirituality, and so more and more of it becomes yeah. commentary on what some on something someone else has done in regards to angels. So, right, yeah, people do all these Greco-Roman things. I want to comment on that artistically. It makes sense then to just continue that chain of just sexing it up a bit. You know what I mean? Like that actually is, um, that is a sensible and intellectually understandable continuation of that art tradition. If you don't understand what that art tradition was trying to comment on, right. You're, you're now commenting on a comment, which is in an artist, a perfectly legitimate artistic thing to do. I mean, I, I don't want to you know, harp on that. A lot of art is commenting on a comment. Um, but, but that's what this is. And then the other one, I'll, I'll talk about it now. The big one that I see coming into the 20th and especially 21st century is angel as a snarky teenager. Yeah. So, you're not my dad angels, right? You're not my dad angels, which yeah, yeah, I yeah. think are a proliferation of the baby angel, right? Because yeah. the second we start examining angels as a device to understand the innocence of, of kind of childhood rather than, you know, understanding angels as a device to understand kind of the innocence of God and his, his love for the innocence of childhood, um, which is a, you know, a semantic, but important difference. Then we start to examine angels as a device for understanding our own relationship to fatherhood and fathers in general. And so you get this motif that's especially in, Someone in literature with with Milton and Paradise Lost, but then really gets into like big TV shows and stuff. And I kind of want to do a whole episode on this. Um, be, but but there are all these TV shows where, um, especially stuff inspired by Neil Gaiman or Gaiman. I never know how to pronounce his name. Um, but where angels are these figures that are like God's kids. And they're pissed off with him because maybe he's a bad dad or maybe he's just like a distracted dad who's always just working on his pet project of earth and humanity and whatever it is. And so we start to explore the patriarchy of religion and, and also just paternalism and, and our own dads by having, you know, Satan not be the 
you know, the source of evil or, you know, the essence of evil, but rather, you know, he's just, he's just the son that God just didn't understand, man. God. You know, oh. and, and, you know, I'm reminded of uh, the, the mountain goats um, this year song where it's just like, you know, God just doesn't understand me. And so I just got to drink scotch and play video games. And like that becomes the devil. And this becomes this whole artistic motif that you see in things from again, gaming with um, the Lucifer comics, the Lucifer TV show, um, the Sabrina reboot that was done for Netflix, the, um, the supernatural series on the CW that lasted for what, like 14 seasons or something ridiculous. Um, oh, wow. and, yeah. and it can, can go back to like, you know, Milton in you know, paradise lost where, you know, for a while they were working on a movie with, um, Oh God, what's his name? Bradley Cooper as, as Satan of paradise lost. And what? it was just going to be like this chain smoking, like, uh, oh, you know, no. dad doesn't love me enough. I'm going to, I'm going to put some graffiti on the gates of heaven and get his attention kind of angel, which again, I'm not saying is necessarily bad or cheap. It's not a comment on what angels are, but it is a comment on a comment. It, it's a comment on, on an artistic, on a different artistic tradition. And so we're seeing these two things come into the 21st century where the predominant experience of angels, I guess, becomes a little bit grandma's China statues, but anything that's not that is either sexy Victoria's secret angel, or you're not my dad angel, a la Neil Gaiman, something like Lucifer, or even, um, what's it called? Bad, uh, bad om- or good omens good is, omens, a, good omens, is yeah. a great example of this, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. just slinking around and kind of sexy and just, I'm just smoking my cigarette and moving my shoulders a lot. And that's what a demon is. And I, again, I love that, <laughs> but aesthetically, I love that. Not, you, not you a commentary on your shoulders a lot. I do not a commentary on angels, but a commentary on artistic tradition which brings us kind of full circle around to why I was uncomfortable in episode one, because again, there's so little definition in the public discourse or in the, the collective conscious about what, you know, what is the difference? What is the line in the sand between what angels are and just what artists depict them as to such a degree that, that now, like when you say angels, they're not even that thing anymore. It's like its own thing. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like about, I mean, a, 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 extreme example of this um is the buffy spin-off show angel right oh yeah sure Where angel totally of that spirit is a vampire <laughs> he's just named angel right but the show like play i mean like the, 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 he there's some you will be represented with like you know like promo images and stuff kind of with like suggestion of like black wings and these kinds of things but he's a vampire you know yeah uh, so, so you're right. Like we, we've sort of so like the whole concept of the angel has been so kind of deracinated, you know, that like in, in one thing that's, it's almost like, you know, we talked a little bit about how, um, Christianity, uh, borrowed a lot from other religious traditions and stuff as a in Judaism and uh, Judaism and Christianity, like borrowed a lot from, um, other religious traditions in, in ideas of, of angels and then like visual representations. and then like in the 16th century especially and then kind of moving forward with the with again like what's the renaissance and what's being reborn is this like so-called uh rediscovery of classical stuff in art in kind of classical uh, greek and roman statuary and artistic making styles and all the kind of stuff um which results in a discovery like a rediscovery of a lot of ways of depicting like um eros uh as a, a a chubby baby and stuff like this and so so there's a certain like reintegration of of some of these like um 
pre-Christian angel concepts. And I sort of wonder if in the end we've we've kind of like we sort of like kept tipping the bucket like enough, 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 and now we just kind of like tipped it all out, you know? So uh so we're sort of we're sort of kind of talking about angels, but now it's like all just use in I don't know. I don't know that I agree with you on that. I don't know that the momentum of the bucket allows for anything to spill out. I mean, maybe I, not, but I guess I, I do. Well, like no, well, well, this Go is ahead. what I'm going to say, because yeah, yeah, yeah. we mentioned this last episode. I think we did. Maybe we joked about it off air, but Roma Downey goes and does in the nineties touched by an angel. Oh yeah. Which is this bucket flip. So the buckets flipped into sexy angels. The buckets flipped into you're not my dad angels. And she then makes a show, which is kitsch and which is sentimental to a profound degree. Um, but it, it is a commentary on those depictions of angels that actually brings it back around to a genuinely theological exploration. So that's a fair the, point. Yeah. Right. So the point. angel of death for instance, in that show, regular character, super sexy. And he's like the kindest guy in the show because he's the guy who comes to you when you die and brings you to Christ. Right. And so there becomes this really interesting thing that I think I'm only bringing it up kind of as a challenge to other artists where I don't think we've reached a dead end. Actually, I think touched by an angel as kitschy and as sentimental, as sentimental as it is, is actually a really good example of how you can look at how far afield we've gotten with the idea of angels and actually say, okay, I'm going to comment on that in such a way that it boomerangs back to an actual theological exploration again. And there are other examples of that, but yeah. touch by angel is by far the funniest and the most kind of intense in its, in its mission. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for breaking in with that because I really appreciate that. That's, that's a much more helpful and mode of analysis than I was, than I was going, where I was going. That's really, that's really helpful. Cause I think ultimately, and this is, this is what's so interesting about angels and why I think they're like, they are like, I think artists in general can't let them go. And I think they are so valuable for Christian artists that we ought not let them go. Um, which is that inevitably what they actually, one thing they do is that they, they actually express the artist and his or her cultures, um, like thoughts about the body, Thoughts about what eternity is, um, thoughts about who God is, um, uh, thoughts about like what the Bible is and how the Bible works, because we're also going to be answering questions again, like we were talking about at the beginning, like who who is an angel, is an angel a who, is an angel a what, et cetera, et cetera. Because um, just like, you know, think about it. One of the things, I think very strongly, one of the things that's often in the background um, of the like, you're not my dad angels, is this very standard tr trope that like, Heaven is boring. Heaven is for boring people. Like Neil Gaiman's mm -hmm. way into this. Like um, his 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 bad angel. Of course, both of his angels are good or bad, as the case may be. In in Good Omens, but his bad no, angel. No one is really truly good or bad, Father Gabriel. What was you talking about? Thank you, thank you for just opening up my heart there. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, Jesus was says, just nice, and no one's truly good or bad. Oh, that's absolutely <laughs> the worst part of that show. I threw my TV across the room when that came up. Save it for another episode, boy. Save it. No, I'm, I'm, so, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So, uh, so his his bad uh, angel says at one point that like um, something about like how how hell has all the good composers, you know, like Bach and Beethoven and this and that. Um, 
And I just remember thinking like, I, I read this book obsessively as a kid. I read it a ton of times. Um, and oh, even see, as a, that, that makes so much sense. Yeah, that should not surprise you in the slightest. Um, huge New Game and huge Terry Pratchett fan. So there we go. Um, and uh, even as a kid, I remember like, that just doesn't seem like that's probably true. I mean, like, ah, uh, I was a super devout Lutheran. Like, what do you mean? Mozart, I mean, Mozart's complicated, but like Mozart, this Mozart, this like interesting dude, like, uh, all the, all this stuff. It's just think like, but there, but there is this strong idea that like heaven is boring. Heaven is for squares because we, people think like, well, basically God is boring. Morality, morality is boring. Um, and so like people who have fun and are sexy are like bad and God doesn't understand them. And like, they have to be like, you're not my dead angels or sexy angels. Or sometimes you also get kind of a certain parody angels. So like fat naked angels who are like, like this, you get this like in the, in the mid to late 20th century, like fat, hairy, naked dudes with wings, basically. I gotta um, say, I, I kind of missed the memo on that one. I don't know if I, I can recall any examples of that, but I'm also Yeah, glad. I was, um, I was, it was interesting. I was looking at, uh, I was looking at this actually really lovely, uh, really helpful German article um, talking about, like, giving a, it was, it was for um, uh, this, this, this big book on angels in, in art, in Christian art and, um, had this really interesting chapter about like angels in the 20th century that specifically like, no, it's German and it's based off a lot, a lot of German representations. So like, I mean, maybe we can indulge in German stereotypes if you, if we want, but like, uh, just gave a whole ton of examples of these like fat naked dude angels, um, which at least in Germany in the late 20th century was kind of a big deal. Um, so, uh, I don't, I don't, by the way, uh, caveat auditor, do not recommend doing a Google search for this. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> but if you do, don't say we didn't warn you. XOXO gossip angel. That's right. Gossip angel, naughty angel, sexy angel, <laughs> fat, Nate, fat angel. It's all there. <laughs> it's all there. It's all there. I, so here's, okay, here's what I want to wrap up by doing, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to sort of do two things. And if we can do them at once, great. If we can't do them at once, screw you, listener. This could be a two-hour podcast if we want to. Um, it, we're the bosses. One, I want to comment on maybe any examples of angels that I haven't neatly fit in so far that we just personally really love and draw inspiration from or just think are aesthetically interesting. Um uh, either for good or bad reasons. And then I also want to give any thoughts. Cause again, this is not a, we say this all the time. This is not a moral podcast. This is an art podcast. And I like would to Would you try say this is end, an immoral podcast, Jacob? <laughs> I would say this is a wildly immoral art podcast. Um, <laughs> right. But we're not speaking primarily theologically. We're speaking primarily artistically. And I always try to, including in the way we wrap every podcast by saying, you know, go forth and create cool things. Like I, I want to always give some, some manner of loose creative prompt, not artificially because like this, this podcast really does. And, and any discussion of art does become just kind of flaccid and useless if it doesn't lead to greater creativity and creation. And so if we can, I'd also like to throw in a few thoughts on, on maybe what artists can do to revisit this idea of angels in their own unique way and take us into a new era of depiction, because we are walking around with all this baggage. We're walking around with comment upon comment upon comment of how angels mm -hmm. have been depicted in parodies of parodies and hats on hats. I mean, uh, just while you were talking, I was trying to think, what's that one 
movie that is simultaneously sexy angels and you're not my dad angels. And it's like the microcosm of it. And I can't remember. I looked at that. Have you ever seen that movie Legion with Paul Bettany or hear about it where he's no, like no, the sexiest St. Michael and God decides to send like thousands, like millions of angels and their wings just like blot out the sky to just like kill humanity. But he decides to go like rebel against God, find the antichrist, convince the antichrist who's like living in a shanty town in like Alabama or some crap. And like, so he's like shirtless and sweaty the whole time. And he's so sexy and like fighting like all the other. And yeah, no ridiculous. So, so there are all these, we're walking in with like a lot of artistic, not to mention spiritual baggage. And so as we're talking about our own kind of favorite depictions, maybe even from now of how angels are depicted, people who are doing it right, so to speak, maybe we could also throw in just a couple of starting ideas, not all the ideas, but just starting ideas of things people can keep in mind to re-pursue this line of design as it were. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, um, I'd say on the latter point, um, that with angels as with, I think a lot of actually Christian visual ideas that have most of which are going to have been played for a long time, you know, and so they can easily become like tropes that you can't really hear anymore, you know, um, <laughs> but specifically with angels, you know, I'd say, um, they are necessary, like how one chooses to depict them is so clearly affected by the answer of like, who is an angel or is an angel a what or a who? And then like, what does that mean? An angel um, is Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Uh, I mean, of course, of course, there's there's like there's a really cool uh, angels episode of Doctor Who where angels are yeah. these like they're these like scary, super scary, like e- otherworldly demon creature things. Yeah, but they, but they live in plaster statues, you know, and you're right. like, of angels. Right. Like, OK, you know, um, so right. So there's all that. But um, I'd say like so dive deeply into like what an angel is, you know, I mean, in the way that makes sense for like you as a, as a thinker, as an artist, as a, as a, as a person who encounters reality. So like, um, if you're Christian, you know, like, uh, probably a good place to start is the Bible and just like, you know, maybe you don't need somebody else to tell you what to think about them, but just like flip through and think really seriously about all these different ways in which angels appear in the scriptures. And like, I don't know, reflect on what the heck is happening there and then like try to if if that if that just produces so many questions and so many contradictions and so many pressures in your mind just like keep pressing on it and see if something springs out you know that's one way is to just kind of go straight there and see um but but above all with that i'd say like um uh i should say if if just as it were kind of going back to the source of the scriptures isn't helpful enough or doesn't kind of get some thought started, but doesn't get everything going, then, um, I personally, and this could, this is probably just predilection. So I'm not saying that everyone has to do it, you know, but I think going back through Christian art history until you find a place where the, the depictions of aliens start to look really alien and uncomfortable to you, that's probably the depictions a good of place. aliens. Oh, you mean the oh, depictions so, of angels? The angels start to look really weird. But depictions, <laughs> the depictions angels of look, aliens look alien and look yeah. angel to you. Yeah, sorry. Where the depictions of angels starts to look really alien to you, and like you're not sure what's going on, and it's maybe even discomforting or confusing. That's probably a good place to start. 
Ooh, frankly. I like that. That's a cool you know what I mean. Prompt. I dig that. Be- because like I think if if we if we just sort of turn back the pages in our art history book to like the 19th century or maybe even just to the Renaissance, it's gonna look so familiar that we're not gonna get that that level of like alienation from our own concepts that we might need to be able to escape from something that's been so heavily encrusted like angels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I dig that. Especially if you can do it through different artistic lenses. If there's anybody doing stuff like that that you, especially now that you think is is doing it well, or, or people that maybe someone should like follow on Instagram or something, I'd, I'd love to hear. There's one person I keep thinking of, and I, I keep bringing, wanting to bring her up in both episodes, and I haven't gotten to. There's this artist, Angela Wang, who I might actually want to interview at some point. I, I don't think she's Catholic or necessarily even Christian, um, but I would love to interview. She's fantastic. She... Um, she does these, she's very into like looking at Renaissance themes, um, but she does a lot of Bible stories, a lot of saint stories, and a lot of angel imagery, um, hmm. pulling from kind of Renaissance art designs, but doing it through the lens of Art Nouveau and anime. <laughs> so she has these okay, like, I like, very I like, like all those things. Very like, um, she's this amazing image of like a Renaissance artist painting an angel. that's like eight times bigger than him that I love. That's like one of her most famous ones. She's got this really cool series of images of like this sort of anime brooding priest, but then like very legitimate and very like sincere depictions of angels and saints like appearing to him. It's really cool stuff because I feel like maybe she's doing what you're describing, which is going back to a period that resonates with her on some level, perhaps because she likes it, perhaps because it makes her uncomfortable, and then revisiting it through art styles, which she can actually um, take it a step further with, um, which is always a cool idea, right? You know, whatever you as an artist happen to be good at, don't try to go ape what someone else did. Just say, hey, can I take the baton of what this artist did, of what this theologian did, and through my own sincere lens and through my own sincere exploration of this, particularly when we are talking about something spiritually, my own sincere relationship with God or relationship with angels, can I take this a step further with the particular talent that I have. Um, I would definitely recommend a follow for her though. Some of her stuff is a little weird, obviously, but that's what I like about it. It's uh, she, her name is Angela Wang, but on social media, she goes by, uh, I want to pronounce it a wonky. So a W a N Q I. Um, and that's, that's all her stuff there. She's, she's very cool. Is there anybody else though, that you can think of that you think just even in terms of your own personal taste is kind of doing it right or has the right idea with, with this artistic prompt that we're throwing out there? You know, I'm not, I, I can think, I know that there are lots of people I'm sort of blanking on names right now. Um, but, uh, that's okay. I sort of threw it on you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's good. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I can, I can, pull up some and, and you put up on the Instagram or something like that. But it's yeah, okay. in, in lieu of an actual recommendation, we're just going to assume that father Gabriel really recommends you go and watch the, uh, the movie Legion starring Paul Bettany. It's very sexy. The, gr- the great theological, uh, uh masterpiece Legion, <laughs> sexy, naughty. God is not his dad, etc. God is not his dad. No, but I like, I like this. Um, any any final thoughts to add on the artistic prompt elements of this? I think we've I think we've done a good job. Is there anything else we want to put out there for people as kind of parting thoughts or, or prayers? Or do we think we've we think we've hit I it? I think for that's now? I think that's hitting it. I think um, if you ever 
as a, I'll just say as a kind of closing shot that if you ever start to feel really badly about yourself as an artist, which I have heard can sometimes happen. Um, uh, and you feel like, wow, I just have no ideas and everything I do is really bad. Um, do yourself a favor, um, and take a brief set of t- pull pull out pull out an egg timer and set a timer to make sure that it's brief because otherwise it could last way too long. Take a very brief trip into the very dark world of angel stock photos. Oh on- my god! And then so I first promise of all, you- leave it to you. First of all, leave it to you for when I say, "Do you have any examples of people who are doing it right?" You go, "I'm drawing a blank," but I have about fifty eight. Of people who are doing it wrong, who are doing it wrong. Do oh, yeah, classic. On. Second of all, we do want to do a whole episode on Christian stock photos, but give us <sighs> the give us the breakdown of what you're viewing here, because God, that wasn't even an aspect that I considered, and now I'm kind of horrified. No, I just no, I won't. No, I watch. I watch you to find this on your own, because I promise you, the only thing that the only thing that won't surprise you is like how white everybody is. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. It's, it's um no, it's a beautiful world. I won't spoil it because it's it's uh it's so spoiled and unspoilable all on its own. I just I want you to I want you to to go and to love it and for now go forth and create cool things. You've been listening to Creative Things, a podcast of Catholic creatives, hosted by Father Gabriel Toretta O.P. and Jacob Flores Popcheck, produced by Jessica Flores Popcheck and Kyle Meineke. To find out more about how you can support the podcast and other ventures for artists, visit catholiccreatives.org forward slash support.